All right, into the unknown. And you know, you and I could totally do that. We could, right? We just don't want to, but we could. Um, that's amazing. And, uh, and hey, God made you to be amazing too. Maybe not in that way, but God's gifted all of us. He's placed us on this team called Chase Oaks Church for a reason. And, uh, and I'm really glad you're here, whatever campus you're at or online right now. Um, if my voice may sound a little different today because I have a cold and I, um, I actually made a big mistake. I said something out loud. You know, it's one of those things you should never say out loud. Just a couple days ago, I said, you know, I think I'm going to get through this whole season without getting a cold. And then bam, you know, all the viruses were like, game on, dude, you know, and they got me. Um, so I may sit down a little bit more too, but Hey, whether you're sick or well, or whatever's going on, really, really glad you're here because today is a really important day in the life of our church. And when I say church, it's, I'm not talking about some institution out there. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about you and me. It's, it's so today is an important day for you and me. If you're a part of this church and for those of you who are new to Chase Oaks, um, maybe it's your first time. It's a really not a credible opportunity to kind of find out, well, what is this place all about? I mean, this you'll today will be a big shortcut and saying, yeah, you know, if you're kicking the tires of Christianity or trying out this church or whatever, bingo, you hit on a great day. Because today, uh, this weekend is vision weekend where we remind ourselves of the purposes, the purpose that God has called us all here for and what that means in terms of vision over the next season of our church. Um, Earlier this week, I had a, a really cool opportunity, and um, and I don't know if you know this or not, um, but I'm I'm an Alabama football fan. Have I ever mentioned that? Um, I don't talk about it much, you know. But uh, but a Chase Oker happened to find out about that somehow, and and she works at the Michael Johnson Performance Center uh, up in Craig Ranch, where a number of elite college athletes who are going into the draft are getting ready for the combine that starts today. And uh, they've been there for like nine weeks. And so um, she called and said, hey, there's uh, three Alabama players that are there. Uh, would you like to come over and meet them? And I said, well, let me pray about it. Sure. And uh, <clears throat> and so this is me and one of those players, Jerry Judy. Um, if you I, if you're not an Alabama fan, you may not know his name. <clears throat> but if you watch NFL football, you'll get to know his name. He's a freakishly good athlete. He's going to make a big splash in the NFL, I think he's uh, most people regard him as the best wide receiver in the draft and he'll go somewhere pretty, pretty high. And uh, it was, he was a nice guy and it was great to meet him and see all the players and see what they're doing. It was really cool. And uh, but then I'm you know driving away from that experience. And and as cool as it was, I'm really thankful for it. I did have this thought that then, you know what, if that I mean, it's really cool meeting people like that. But if that was the highlight of my life be kind of sad life. I mean, nothing against Jerry Judy, but you know, or if like if Alabama football was the most exciting thing I had going, that's pretty lame in the big scheme of things. And the good news is, is God is at work in the world, this broken, messed up world. He is invading it with his love, with his redemption, with, with, you know, he's moving with his light, all of that. And he wants to, he doesn't do it by himself. He could, but he chooses to use you and me collectively in this thing called church that he made up, that he's chosen. And God has a role for you to play in the most significant purpose, the most significant vision going on the planet. And I don't believe it's accidental that you're here kind of right now, you know, at this point, at this church, 
I believe God is, has collected us together for a reason. And if you think about it, it's incredibly strategic where God has placed us. Because with, with, within just a small radius, uh, you know, our, our, our area, there are 800,000 people who are non-church, 800,000 non-church people. Uh, most of which likely don't have a relationship with God. They don't, they don't know how deeply God loves them and wants to know them. And that's why he's placed us here. And if you know God's heart for people who are lost to him, you know, like Jesus gave, gave us a backstage pass to see, to let us know what heaven is like. And he said, hey, you know what? In this broken world where there's so much going on, um, the one thing we know that makes heaven celebrate, makes heaven throw a party, Jesus said, is every time even one person who doesn't know God comes to know God through faith in Jesus and heaven throws a party for that. God, that's his heart for the 800,000. And he's placed us here. And you think about all the needs in our community among the 800,000 and beyond that, too. All the people crying out to God for help in our community, wondering if there is a God who's listening or if there is a God who cares. And we get to be the answer to that question. That God wants to, uh, wants to bring hope to the hopeless and light to darkness and in connection with people who don't know him. And that's why he's placed us here. And, and that's what we get to do. The way we say it is, you know, we, we, we exist. This is why we exist. To connect the 800,000 to a transforming relationship with Jesus and together be used by God to change our world. And that's pretty cool. But as you look at the world today, as you look at our culture today, does it seem like it's getting harder rather than easier? Does it seem like it's getting darker, not brighter, more divided, less united, more problematic, less together? I mean, does it does it feel that way? I mean, so much I, I hear that a lot and so much and I, I get it. And, and so much so that a lot of people say, man, what's it going to be like for my kids? This world, what's it going to be like for my grandkids? You know, and. And, and, if, and if it looks like that things are becoming different or more challenging, I think there's a big reason for that. Um, you and I happen to be living. God has called you to live in this place, this time, this culture, you and me. We happen to be living in a, in a really unique time in history. One of the biggest sociological worldview shifts in history. You and I have been called to reach a world that has never existed, a cultural worldview that has never existed. And what I'm talking about is this, that you and I live in a culture now that is, for the first time in history, post, uh, it's relativistic, post-Christian culture. Let me talk about what that means. Relativism is this, that our view of truth as a culture is that truth lies within. And that therefore what I feel to be true, that's what I trust to be true. The truth is it doesn't exist outside myself. Now, that's actually really new. That sounds normal to us. But in history, that's never existed before. We're the first generation, the first culture to to be relativistic in that sense, because throughout all of history, people have had different ideas about what that truth is. But there's been an idea that there's capital T truth out there. And virtue is about finding that truth and yielding what I feel to that bigger truth and, and aligning my life to that truth. But now we don't live in that world and we distrust anybody who claims to have big T truth. Not only that, we're also a post-Christian culture. And what I mean by a post-Christian culture is a culture that feels that it's had Christianity. I would argue not so fast, but a, a, a culture that says it's had Christianity and now has moved on from it. Uh, so much so that now Christianity is not seen as a solution to the problems in the world, but part of the problem. 
right? If, if you talk to people about Christians who aren't Christians, it's often not our church or whatever. It's typically not very positive, right? So our, our culture has moved on from us. We're actually seen as not good, but bad. I mean, it, it's gone fast. I mean, it's happened fast. I mean, even 20 years ago, there was a sense that if anything, Christians were maybe a little too good to be true. Like if you said, oh yeah, I'm dating this girl. She's a Christian. Be like, ooh, giddy two shoes, you know? But now be like, really? Because now I think Christianity and, and our culture is seen as too bad to be true. Not too good to be true. Arrogant, judgmental, um, not listening, mean, jerks, whatever you want, you know, right? And, and, and I'm sure you've experienced some of that. Like I remember um, just, a, well, just a couple weeks ago, I was skiing up in Colorado on a ski lift. So on a chair, you know, next to this guy. And we're having a great conversation right away, just real quick. And then he asked me the dreaded question. I hate when people ask me. And that is, so what do you do for a living? And I shot up a prayer to God. This was my prayer. I said, real, real quick, because I said, God, you know, Rahab is this person in the Old Testament that lied. And God said, you know, it's okay. And, uh, and I was like, God, is it okay? Is this a Rahab moment? Like, can I just lie and say I'm an accountant or something like that? Normal, not because I know what it would do. It's going to shut down the conversation and be like, oh, gosh, you're one of those. And, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, now I have an answer. I'm locked and loaded now for that question. I'll, and at the end of this talk, if I remember, if I forget, just shout out. But I'll, uh, I'll tell you my answer. I can't wait for the next time that happens. But um, I fumbled around and stumbled around and sure enough, shut down the conversation. Because that's, what, that's our culture right now in a post-Christian, relativistic culture that, you know. And, and, and that's why most churches are shrinking and younger generations moving away. And you see all that happening and, and just the general darkness and all that stuff in our world. It is, it, as Christians, from a Christian perspective, you can look at that with one of, one of two, with what's happening in our world right now, with one of, one of two perspectives or one of two narratives. One of those I'll call, and, and this is the most common one, unfortunately, for Christians and churches that I see, and, is that is, I'll, I'll call it an all is lost narrative or all is soon lost. Like things are spiraling away from us and there's nothing that can, you know, all is lost. And all is lost is essentially a fear narrative. It's looking at what's happening in our world and responding in fear. Now, do you remember high school biology? Anybody? Some of you are in high school biology, so you should remember it. But, but if you're older, um, when you're afraid, there are two responses, the way we're built, that start with F. Fight or flight. Very good. Email your biology teacher and say, hey, I actually remember something. You know, that'll encourage him or her. Fight or flight. And that's what's happening right now in fear. That's what fear does. So if we look at what's happening in culture and respond in fear, like most churches, Christians seem to be doing, then it just hastens the process because flight says it's, it's a, a, a fear response. It says, I'm going to isolate. We're going to isolate ourselves from this big, bad world and, and build our own little Christian subculture and kind of live within our own little bubble. And we'll just talk to each other. We won't hear a bigger perspective from those outside of ourselves, which is problematic. And we won't influence our world. That's problematic, right? But, but we'll be safe. That's flight. The other one's even worse, and that's fight. Fight says, we're going to take America back, as if we ever had it. But hey, we're going to take America back. We're gonna, somebody's got to stand for truth. Somebody, we're gonna, so we yell louder, we legislate our morality, we stomp our feet, whatever we do, which only makes it worse with a world that thinks we're a bunch of jerks. 
That's narrative one. All is lost. There's a second narrative, and I call it the Jesus narrative. And does that give you a clue? It's the one I prefer. Uh, anytime you slap Jesus on it, I mean, if it's ice cream, you know, you'd be like, yeah, that's probably better. But, um, but the Jesus narrative, <clears throat> it, and we're going to see it from Jesus as he looks at, looked at his world and I believe looks at our culture and what's going on the same way. And this is in John chapter four that we're going to be in. And I believe what God is calling us to do, this will get to kind of our vision for this next era and in John chapter 4 is the story of the Samaritan woman. And if you grew up in church or Sunday school, you might be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And if you didn't, it's okay, because we're going to kind of tell it. Um, so the Samaritan woman means she was from Samaria, which is a, a big deal back in Jesus' day. Because you had Jews and Samaritans, both of whom claimed to be God's legitimate people through whom the Messiah, uh, the one promised from God, would come. Um, you had the, the Jews. Jesus was Jewish, God's people in the Old Testament, and they had their place of worship, the temple in Jerusalem. They believed that God would send the Redeemer, the Savior through them, uh, and they were looking for that. And so you had that. They believed they were God's legit people. And then you had Samaria, who also believed that they were, in fact, God's legit people. Samaritans were Jewish people that centuries before had been uh, taken away by the Assyrian Empire and then brought back, but they were mixed race, they had intermingled and stuff. And so the Jews rejected them as not legit. They believed they were legit. So they had their own place of worship on Mount Gerizim. They believed the Messiah would come through them, not through the other route. And so for the disciples, like Jewish people, like the disciples, they didn't get along with Samaritans and Samaritans get along with them. Uh, this is more than cowboys versus eagles or Aggies versus Longhorns. This was a, a big deal. And so when John writes about this, he says, we, Jesus and the disciples, he was one of them. We had to go through Samaria because that's the way they saw it. They saw Samaria as a barren spiritual landscape, as a place where God is not at work, as a place that spiraled so far away from God, there's no coming back. They, they saw it as the least likely group of people to ever be open to Jesus as the one sent from God to be the savior of the world. And they had reason for that because they would, you know, the disciples did because they would believe they it would go through the Samaritan line, not through the Jewish line. So when they are going through Samaria as they're traveling through, they're not seeing this as an opportunity for ministry, for impact. They see this as a barren spiritual landscape that God's not working, but God or Jesus sees it. Very differently. So what happens is they they stop uh, in this little town and outside the town, there's a well because it's in the middle of the day. They stop there to get some water. And for the disciples, this is not a place of ministry, right? This is a place to go get lunch. So that's what they're fixated on. So they're like, hey, we're going to go get lunch. Jesus, you want to come with us? But there's this woman there, Samaritan woman. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to hang here. You guys go ahead and get lunch. And he has this incredible discussion with this woman and and. It's such a cool one to read. I, I, we, won't, we don't have time to tell it. Read John 4 this week. It's such a cool discussion. If you want to know how Jesus treated women, if you want to know how he treated those who had different ideas than he did, it's just really cool. So he has this conversation, and as a result of that conversation, she realizes this is indeed the one sent from God that they've been looking for. That this is God in human form who came for her. This is her creator. She believes in Jesus as her savior, as the one sent from God to make it possible for him, her to know God. She, you know, she is converted to being a Jesus follower. 
And then she goes back to tell her village and a bunch of people in the village are also come to know Christ or come to know God. And all this is happening and the disciples have no clue. And they come back from lunch and Jesus is just by himself because the woman's gone telling all these people in the village. He's all charged up. They're charged up about lunch. And so they come and they're like, hey, Jesus, we got some lunch for you. You know, they didn't have a Chick-fil-A here because it's Samaria. They don't, you know, a bunch of non-believers. They don't have Chick-fil-A. But, um, but they do have, they had a Whataburger. So we got you a patty melt. Hope that's okay. No onions. And, uh, you know, whatever. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm not hungry. And they, and they look at each other like, did he sneak some food in we didn't know about? And what he's saying is, man, my heart is so full right now. And here's our passage. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. God, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He's saying, man, if you you just open your eyes, what you see is a barren spiritual landscape. It's not. God is very much at work. You just don't realize it. It's, it's this rich harvest field as, as people are coming to know God. There's all this spiritual fruit happening. That's the reality. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps or harvests draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap, harvest what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. When he says others have done the hard work, he's talking about God. He's talking about God, the father, God, the Holy Spirit, who's always at work. And he's at work in our culture, too. And he does the hard work. And Jesus is saying, you don't realize that what you saw as a barren spiritual landscape isn't. God is very much at work. In fact, there's all this fruit. And they soon saw it because here's what happened. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They urged Jesus to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. All these people come to know God. All this spiritual fruit. And Jesus is saying, hey, you can look at a culture. You can look at something and see a barren spiritual landscape. But it is not. God is always at work in any culture. And he would say the same thing to us today. For anybody who has a fear based, all is lost. That's not the right narrative. We're never called to fear. We're called to love and love casts out fear. So we move forward to a culture in love. But here's the thing. Is God at work in our culture? You know, you think, oh, spiraling away. No, God is very much at work and he invites us to join him. That's the Jesus narrative. But here's the thing. The crop is a new crop. It's a new culture. It's a relativistic post-Christian culture. So the way that maybe we worked 20 years ago to reach a culture, that culture doesn't exist anymore. And churches are really good at being designed to reach a world that no longer exists. And it's up to us to figure out by God's help and he'll help us to join him. He's doing the heavy work. He's doing the hard work. He's creating spiritual interest. It's up to us as a church along with other churches too, but up to us to join him in that process of saying, okay, this is an adventure, folks. For the first time in history, we're reaching and got to figure out how to reach. We're pioneers, a relativistic post-Christian culture. How are we going to do that? And think about it. Guess what kind of churches God is most likely to use to pull that off? It's going to be churches like Chase Oaks that are built around not ourselves, but those who aren't here yet. Churches where we work really hard and it's always hard because 
the magnet is always to build life around ourselves and church around ourselves. But we work really hard to just keep spinning the energy out. To do church in a way that non-church people can connect. To do church in a way for people who've been burned by church. People who hate church. People who feel like we hate them. To do it differently. Say, no, we don't hate you. Come as you are. Come on. To, to, the, the, to spin the energy out to the biggest needs in our community. And, 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 and it's churches like that that say, we're going to spin the energy out that God will likely use, right, to reach a whole new crop, to reach a whole new culture, to reach the 800,000. God called you to be right here, right now to help do that. That's our adventure, figuring out how to reach a whole new crop. A whole new culture. And God's going to do the hard work and the heavy work. We get to join him. And not only that's in the post-Christian thing. It also means part of our vision is really rebranding Christianity in our community. That, so that, you know, the vision would be that two, five years from now, ten years from now, instead of, you know, me being on that chairlift with that guy and saying I'm a pastor and it's shutting down the conversation. I mean, honestly, I think it'd be better if in saying pastor, if I say I'm a serial killer. I think I think it would not shut down the conversation as quick. They'd be like, oh, really? Yeah, what's your M.O.? You know, and. Uh... But wouldn't it be cool five years from now, 10 years from now where that doesn't happen that way? It's like, wow, that must be the best life ever. You get to be part of the best thing going. That must be so fun. Because, man, you know, to where people would think, man, when they think Christian, they think love. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. That's our brand. Love one another. That's how people will know that you're legit, that you're my disciple if you love one another. Of unexpected, uncommon love, not fear, love, moving toward need, moving toward people. So much so that people think, man, I don't know, these Christians, they believe some wacky things. But man, they're awesome people. Wow, do they love people. So, so that if you found out, if you're not a you know, believing person and, and, a, and a Christian moves in next door, you're like, ha, oh, I got so lucky. I got a Christian as a neighbor. They're the best. Or you found out you, you got lucky enough to hire a Christian. You're like, wow, these people, man, they have integrity and they're other focused and they work hard. And I mean, they're just great people. Or when there's a need, you know, there, there's a sense in the community. Oh, I bet I bet Christians are going to move into that one. Just of course they do. Of course they will. That's what they do. That's how they roll. That's what we get to be part of over this next period of time. And we believe it's time to within that bigger vision to take a big aggressive step to make a splash that it's time for our church to take another aggressive step and what that means is from time to time every few years god will call us to do something big a big project and and we've got one coming and, and here's what i mean by that this is like in 2004 uh, we felt like we were at that same place where we believed it was time for us to relocate we were in a hidden location with no room to grow, and we had the right vision, but wrong place, and, and that God was calling us to relocate. And, uh, but it was actually crazy. It was called the Imagine Step or the Imagine Campaign, because part of it is you have to raise money to do this stuff, and, and that's scary, and God uses those who are involved and stretches our faith, and it's kind of a cool thing, but it's also challenging. And uh, how many of you are here for Imagine, for that Imagine Step? Okay. What I love about that is that you're here. also love all those are not we're not here. So Imagine uh, was to, to relocate our church and uh, to be visible, city on a hill kind of stuff, where we could begin to reach 800,000. And uh, but that meant raising 15 million dollars. Now that we announced that two months after I became senior pastor, 
And I was following this bigger than life leader named Gene Getz. He's written like 70 something books and lots of people have bought them. I've written two books and my mom bought a couple. So that's, <laughs> and so, so people were, I mean, I had people calling me from around the country saying, what are you doing? Like you got up in front of your church two months in and said, we need to relocate. It's $15 million, you know, and, and are you nuts? Like, you're not even going to survive. Like, you know, people are just there because they're just watching you fail. I was like, well, that's nice. Thanks for calling. But that's what, you know, that is, and, but it was what God put in front of us. And that fall, we, we didn't raise 15. And by the way, it was like we had to stand up and do it. It had to be a grand slam home run or nothing. I mean, we sold our building. Like, you know, that'd be a problem if we didn't raise, and we didn't raise $15 million. We raised $16.7 million. And we needed it because construction prices went up. Um, it is a huge step of faith for our church, which is you and me. I mean, all of us who were involved, it was so cool. I mean, that'll be one we'll be in heaven. But man, you remember what God did? Yeah, that was so cool. We thought it would flop, but man, it's so cool what God did, you know? And then, uh, and then a couple years later, it was time or a few years later, it was time for something, another big step called go boldly. That's what allowed us to begin to start campuses because we believe that the best way for us to reach our community was not through one big mega campus. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just that's not us. And so we actually bought half the property or legacy campus we could have bought on purpose to force us to move to the neighborhoods to grow because we believed that people could do life together better locally. They could invite their friends. If it's, you know, if it's more than a 20 minute drive, it's really hard to invite friends and, and to be, have your family involved and all that kind of stuff. And so we would start going neighborhood to neighborhood and start campuses. We call it Go Boldly because there was only a couple churches in the country doing that at the time. It was not clear. We believe that's what God was calling us to do, and, and, but didn't know if it would work. I mean, we, believe, we hoped it would. And Sloan Creek was the first campus we did, and Go Boldly. And all the you at Sloan Creek right now, I want to thank you because it worked. And that means I have a job still because I would have gotten fired had it not worked. So thank you. And then um, also called Boldly is in the heart of the Great Recession that we were raising all this money and, and all that. That's part of it, too. God funds it through us. That's part of the adventure. And, um, and God showed up again. And, and then we did another one a few years ago, Next Door, Next Gen, that enabled us to do more campuses and to do some kids' own stuff that we weren't doing before. And, uh, and anyways, and that's, been, that's a story, kind of how God has led our church forward. Um, in fact, if you, this is a graph of our church growth. Now, this is my graph. Okay, so if you, want, if, you, if you want my services, my graphic design services at your company to do graphs and stuff, <laughs> let me know. Um, I think it's pretty good. So, <clears throat> so this is kind of generally how we grow as a church. This is represents this kind of slow, steady growth. Like this last year, because um, we're just trying to reach people, right? We're not, it's not, they just want to be big. We're, we're trying to reach people that God loves, party in heaven for every single one of them, okay? So we, of course we want to grow. Um, there's a, so our typical growth, like last year, was like six, somewhere between 6 and 8%. Which in a world of shrinking churches, I'm thankful for. But that's not going to rock the 800,000. Six to eight percent growth. I mean, there's a lot of people, but there's a lot more people, right? So that's the typical thing. Until we do one of these projects. And this is like leading up to imagine. And then in that imagine step, pretty soon after that, we doubled as a church. As we took a big faith step, as we added capacity, as we became visible, all this stuff. It, it was like, you know, you just slow, steady growth and then bam. And then go boldly, same way. Slow, steady growth and then Bam. And then next door, next gen, slow, steady growth and 
bam, there you go. And uh, like we're 50% bigger now than just than next door, next gen that ended just a few years ago, because that's how God has grown our church, which also grows our capacities. We have critical mass to meet needs in our community. It enables us to do everything way more when we do that. But not only that, this is also how our church grows spiritually. We've seen that. I've seen that in my own life. In fact, when Gene Getz and I mentioned who started our church when we were doing that first step, that imagine step, he told me, he said, Jeff, of all the things that you do as a pastor, you're going to see that it's when you do that kind of step that people will grow more spiritually. There's going to be more spiritual growth in that for people to participate than anything else you do. And I remember thinking, man, I, he's really smart and I believe him, but really? And then after doing this a few times, like, oh yeah, big time. I've seen that. And I've seen that in my own life. For Christy and me, as, can you smell that we're about to do another project, another one of these? So this will be our fourth one that Christy and I have been involved in. And we've it stretched our faith and we've given. And, all, and we're going to give, I mean, God just keeps growing our number, our faith number, and our sacrifice number, and, and above and beyond our regular giving. And that we're excited about. You might think, man, you've been through three of those. God, I'm enough. You know, that's enough. I, I can't keep doing this. You know, but... God, you just can't outgive him. I mean, you can't outgenerous him. He's responded every time, and we've grown spiritually every time. And so we're excited about it because it's how God grows people, and he invites us to be part of it. So we are going to do another project underneath this bigger vision. The project will be called Here for Good. And it's called Here for Good because, again, in a here-for-me world, we want to be here for good people. It's easy to be here for me, here for me church and here for me people. We want to be, you know, we're here with a mission, right? Here for good. And we want people in our culture as we rebrand Christianity to do some things that make a big splash that say, wow, these people are, so, they're, they're here for good. Look at these people, right? And, and so to introduce us to the project part of it, what we're going to do to be succinct, uh, I want us to do that on video. So let's watch the video of what this will be. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his followers that we are the light of the world and that the light is for the benefit of others. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, he said, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We have entered into a new era as a culture when the light of Jesus is needed more than ever. We are more connected than ever, yet often find ourselves more isolated and lonely. Our access to more information has left us divided and angry. We know that there are roughly 800,000 people within our reach who do not have a church home and do not know the extent of God's love for them. And every one of those people has a name and a story. For most of Matt's adult life, church played no role at all. But after moving to Dallas, and struggling in several areas of his life, a friend suggested he try out Chase Oaks. Matt attended a Christmas service in 2018 and then signed up for an online group during our Happy Place series. Matt is now serving regularly at our Richardson campus and he is growing in ways he never expected. I have met a phenomenal group of people. It's just amazing, it's just a whole different world. As a church, we are entering a season of incredible opportunity. God has blessed Chase Oaks Church with growth, with goodwill in our community, and with opportunities to serve our cities, our schools, and our community partners. 
Now is the time for us to take a bold step together in pursuit of God's vision of love. Here for Good is a project that will help us reach the people God cares for, as well as meet some of the most pressing needs in our community. The components of Here for Good fall into three main categories. Reach those no one else is reaching. Create compelling experiences for our friends and neighbors and bring hope to our community. First, for us to reach people who have not yet been reached, we will probably need to go where we have not yet gone. So, Here for Good will fund the launch of two new Chase Oaks campuses. It will also usher in a new age of digital missions for Chase Oaks because we know where the people are who God wants to reach. They are on their phones. And Here for Good will fund a brand new initiative for Chase Oaks Church called Local Good. Local Good will be a coffee shop and a community space that will create common ground with those uninterested in church by inspiring all of us to make a difference for the common good. Second, Here for Good will make huge investments into our existing campuses so that we can create the most compelling experience possible for our friends and neighbors. We will provide a permanent facility for our Richardson campus, do a major upgrade to the Kid Zone experience at our Sloan Creek campus, increase the auditorium capacity at our Woodbridge campus, and upgrade technology in our Legacy Auditorium, which as our Bradcast campus will benefit all of our locations, as well as our N Espanol campus and the experience of those online through Chase Oaks Live. Lastly, it's clear that one of the brightest spots within our church is the Chase Oaks Family Center, located in East Plano. Seasonal initiatives like Toy Zone and School Zone, as well as ongoing classes for U.S. citizenship and ESL, are all serving a vulnerable population that we are honored to help. The stories coming out of the Family Center are so inspiring. After fleeing persecution in Iraq, Adnan al-Shaikhli immigrated to the United States to find a better life. He has been pursuing U.S. citizenship and learning English through classes at the Family Center. We celebrated with Adnan in late 2019 as he became a U.S. citizen. I found here not only a school to, to teach English, but actually I found a family Currently, the Chase Oaks Family Center is at capacity, and citizenship and ESL classes have waiting lists. While so many people and vulnerable families are finding the help they need, so many others are turned away because there is simply no more room. Our Here for Good project will triple the size of the Chase Oaks Family Center and dramatically increase our ability to come alongside families in need. Taken together, Here for Good is a huge vision for Chase Oaks, but it's more than just a financial project. It's an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. It's an opportunity for each of us to make a statement with our resources about what we are for. Remember, Chase Oaks Church is not an institution. It's a group of people. It's us. Here for Good is a $20 million project, which is a really big goal, and it will take all of us to reach it. If you would like to learn more about how you can give towards Here for Good and make our goal a reality, please visit hereforgood.chaseoaks.org.
God has placed us here for such a time as this. He has placed us here to be for the people who are far from him, to be for children and the vulnerable, to be for our neighborhoods and cities, to be for human dignity. As our culture struggles in divisiveness, cynicism, and anger, God has not placed us here to focus on ourselves. He has placed us here to focus on others. He has placed us here for good. Let's do this together. All right, let's do it. So it's going to be a cool project, and just we'll do this late spring. So after Easter is when the project part of it will be. And it's not just about raising finances. I mean, that's part of it. That's how God funds it. He grows our faith. It's a big deal. That's great for all who participate. But it's really bigger than that, too. So we will, um, in that Here for Good series, will really be about what we'll be talking about. It'll be a Here for Good experience over those weeks of that series uh, what it means to be here for good people and here for me world, what it means to be here for good church and here for me world, what it means to how do we raise here for good kids in a here for me world. And each week we won't just be talking about it, but we will be doing things as a church to make us splash in our community and here for good splash again with a bigger vision in mind. And just to, and when you leave today, you're going to get a kind of a big pamphlet that will give you details of what here for good is going to be about because we just heard a lot of things on the video. A quick recap. The three buckets. The first is to reach people no one is reaching. If you and I are going to reach people no one is reaching, we have to be willing to do things that nobody's doing, including us, right? That just makes sense. And we're going to be figuring out how to do that in a changing culture. And so underneath that, uh, we'll start two new campuses. And you think, well, other people are doing, I mean, people are doing campuses. That's not really new. It is new when we go because if there's not a Chase Oaks campus there, that's going to reach people that won't be otherwise reached. And it's not that there's not... In some of these cases, churches that are good churches that are reaching people, and they are, they're great, we're all for them, but they're reaching people we won't reach. Uh, we'll, we're reaching people that they won't reach. Does that make sense? And, um, and when we, and I'm going to tell you where our campuses are going to be, Lord willing, but the way, one of the ways we decide that is we look and see where are we already? Like, where do we already have a few hundred Chase Oakers that are driving more than 20 minutes? It's hard to invite their friends, it's hard to get their family involved, it's hard for, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, we look, where's God already trying to make this happen, in other words? And so the two places, uh, so far we've gone east, 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 south. So we're going west. So um, the first one, uh, Lord willing, be northwest later this year. That's up in the, like the 380 uh, Custer area, somewhere up in that region. Anybody out from that area? There you go. We'll need you to be part of it. And then uh, the other one is the colony. And, uh, and out west, that area, any colony people, colonizers? Okay, we need to get some more colony people. Um, but that's the two new campuses. Digital missions. Um, like I said on the video, I mean, <clears throat> this is where people are, right here, right? And, and good missionaries go where people are. And so we, and uh, I, I, at the end of 2019, I, uh, so there was a study done at the end of 2019 that showed that the average American adult spends three hours and 43 minutes looking at our phones every day and another three hours and 45 minutes looking at some other kind of screen for entertainment. That's seven hours a day. And meaning if we're not working or sleeping, we're probably right here. And so how do we reach people right here? And, uh, and part of that, just part of it, will be also uh, upgrading our online experience. We, do you realize our average online attendance is 2,500 people. It's actually more people, but 2,500, just crazy to think about. And that's the new front door of our church. And many of you are, you know, involved right now in it as I speak. 
um, digital missions and then local good. That's a coffee shop with a cause. And that's about and what I love about this idea is that it came from H.A. Soaker, who gets our mission to reach the 800,000, who does a great job inviting people to our campuses, inviting people to our church. And he's like, man, that's the reason I'm at Chase Oaks, because every time I bring somebody, they're able to connect. And it's so great, you know, and I'm growing, too. But, it, you know, and uh, but he knows that in a post-Christian culture that some of his friends are just never going to go through the doors of a church. So this is the opportunity to provide a neutral experience, a neutral ground experience. It won't be called Chase Oaks Coffee. It's local good. And so it's it's uh, how do we get the ethos of Christianity, the ethos of church out there outside the walls of the church where we can uh, say, let's serve our community together, do local good together. Again, that little brochure will have more about it, but that'll be cool to bring hope to our community. That's what happens uh, when we want to triple the size of the family center. God has brought the world to our backyard. We want to be faithful to that opportunity and to create compelling experiences for our friends and neighbors, um, the people that we're inviting and that God wants to connect to. And one thing we've learned is that environments matter. And uh, just like if you were inviting somebody over to your house, you'd probably straighten up a little bit. You'd you know, make sure the environment was the best environment possible. Now, we want to be hospitable that way. We've learned how important that is. And so at each of our campuses, um, there'll be uh, you know, expansions or enhancements to the environments that, that really matter. And, uh, and if you're at Richardson, it's probably even more because that's a permanent location right now where Richardson is. It's kind of like paying for an escape room to try to go to uh, to try to try to go to that campus to find the uh, auditorium is a, like we could probably charge money for that. And um, so we want to get in a better situation there. So that's here for good. And, and again, here for good is a project underneath this bigger vision. And it enables us to do some really big things. And and uh, and and that'll be great. But it's underneath a bigger vision of how do we reach the 800,000 and how do we rebrand Christianity in our community. And by the way, there's a there's a national group called the National Association of Evangelicals, which evangelical scary word for Christian, um, who has approached us. Uh, just one of the people involved said, hey, they've caught wind of what's happening and said, hey, we, we see what you're doing with Love Does the Unexpected, rebranding Christianity, all that. Would you help us rebrand Christianity in America? I said, nah. No, we will, because we get to learn from it, right? And, and, uh, um, but, you know, it's a big vision. And, and uh, it, how do we recast Christianity? Because Jesus is awesome, but people don't know that. And so as Christians, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we change that? And, uh, and Jesus told us it's through love. It's through uncommon love, through unexpected love. It's, it's here for good kind of stuff. That's why we're, you know, calling it that. And like I said, wouldn't it be great five years from now, ten years from now, just totally different when people think Christian. And by the way, you know, I talked about the chairlift conversation with that guy. You know, I said I was locked and loaded for the next time. I'm flying tomorrow somewhere, and I, I just hope I get placed by somebody who asks me, what do you do for a living? Because I'm ready. And I'm not going to say pastor of a church. I'm going to say, hey, you know, I, I'm part, because that's just like an institution. I work for an institution. That's, you know, that's not what church is. Church is a movement of radical love. So what I want to, what I, what I, I, I'm just going to pick some of the things we do. And there's a long list of them. But I'll, so I might say something like, oh, yeah, I work with this organization. It's kind of more of a movement of doing good in culture. But um, like one of the things we do is we attack poverty by helping people. We have this thing called Pivot. It's an organization that uh, helps people who are uh, in poverty. And the best way to get people out of poverty is to get them into a sustainable job, a sustainable wage. And we help them become more employable. We do a lot of training and help, and we work with the employers to also help. And, and, and we also want the employers to win and, and these people to be the best employees they've ever had. And that's, that's, you know, we do, that's one of the things we do. 
or to say, hey, you know what? In a, uh, we have a lot of immigrants in our community who have fled some horrible situation and they're here and they're really scared. They don't know what to do. And, uh, and as an organization, we're able to wrap our arms around them and say, hey, look, we want to be a guide. We want to be helpful. Uh, we want you to win. We want you to help you become citizens and be joyful, productive people. And, 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 we, and that's what we do. Or say, you know, in such a divided world, everybody's so divided by race and ethnicity and politics or whatever they, they are, or socioeconomics. Uh, we're actually building a new kind of community built around common ground, and, and, and that is for, for local good and, and to do good in, in our community. And, uh, and that's what we're part of. Or, or to say, hey, you know what, we, yeah, we, we, you know, in, a, in such an isolated, lonely world, we provide these groups for people who, um, who don't really have real solid connections. And, uh, and, man, we're open to everybody. I mean, it just, you know, and, and people come in and find community and find connection that is so transformative. Or to say, hey, you know, yeah, we, we're an organization, and one of the things we do is, is for a lot of people who are pretty hopeless and, and they have some struggle that they just can't get over, and, and we, we actually provide environments where they can win over that struggle and begin to get on top of it and begin to flourish in life, whereas right now, I mean, I could go all day because that's what we get to do. That's what God calls us to do, right? And so since the church is just you and me, right, it's not some institution out there, just you and me. Here's the way I want us to end this time. We're going to go to God in prayer and, uh, and to be here for good people and here for me world. I want us to talk to God about that because we're, you know, as a church, we're the church when we gather together like this. We're also the church when we're scattered out everywhere we are, where God has placed us in our neighborhood and our school and our, wherever you work or team or whatever it is, God's placed you there on purpose. So let's think about where God has scattered us. Even this week, I want you to, we're about to pray. And when we pray, just ask God, God, how can I be more of a here for good person there? Even this week, less of a here for me, more of a here for good. Maybe it's a, a way to demonstrate unexpected love or care or compassion, whatever, but God, just either God, give me the idea right now or open my eyes this week and just help me see the opportunity. And then as you think about our church, as we gather, as we provide environments where people can come as they are, come to God as they are, where they can be transformed, where together we can make a difference in our community, uh, working alongside our community partners. If, you know, it's easy to be in a church and, and kind of a here for me way and, and there's time, that's okay, but Man, there's opportunity to be in a church in here for good way and to engage and to say, man, how, God, how, how do you want me to help make it happen? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to and ask God that question? Because in order to pull this off, it is going to take all of us. And I don't believe it's accidental, like I said, that God has led you here. I think he's led you here. I think he's led me here for this time, this place, this challenge. And it's an awesome one. And so let's bow our heads together and just and talk to God. Prayer is just talking to God in our own words. He's our Father. So right now, just I encourage you, just in your own heart, just to first of all think about where God has you scattered in your job, your neighborhood, your school, your team. And say, God, help me this week be a here for good person in a whole new way. And God, just give me an idea now or sometime this week. Just open my eyes to how I can, how I can do that. And then as you think about our church, to say, okay, God, I, I know you've led me here for a reason. And so, God, what, what is it? How can I be more of a here for good person in this church? And what are you calling me to do? And how can you help? How, how can I help make this happen?
And then let's begin just praying with the project in mind, just saying, God, if you want me to be involved in that, then work on my heart and guide me and help me know what it looks like to take a faith sacrificial step. And, and Father, on behalf of all of us, I thank you that you choose not to do your work in the world without us. It'd be a lot easier, I know, because we're so imperfect. But thank you for giving us a key role, a key part to play, that you do everything you do through imperfect people like us and through imperfect churches like us. And so, God, thank you. And help us to be faithful. Help us to be here for good. In Jesus' name, amen.